0: Good morning and happy new year everyone. I wish everyone a happy new year for all of you who are here and of all of you are online. This year is just 10 hours old. It's fantastic. It's brand new. It's kind of like when you were in elementary school and you walked into school on that first day and the hallways were gleaming like you could see yourself through them because they were so shiny. And you got into your classroom, and it looked so clean, and the teacher started handing out notebooks, and they were so fresh, and you get to break the spine. And I remember writing the date on the top corner so neat in my best handwriting. By November, it was all gone. It was messy, scrabbly. But the idea is, at a new year, it's a time of reflection. It's a time to make New Year's resolutions. And a lot of us are probably thinking about what 2023 may look like for us. Lots of things are going to happen this year. Some within our control and some not. There'll be lots of decisions we make that throughout this year that will have a great impact. Some of us may be looking forward to new things, maybe a change in life. If you're in grade eight, you're looking forward to grade nine. If you're at the end of high school, maybe you're hoping that you'll get accepted into the institution you're applying for. Some of you may be hoping for that dream job, or some of you may be wanting to buy a new house. All kinds of things. But right now, I want you to take a leap, and I want you just to imagine that we are now December 31st, 2023. What do you want to remember this year by? I venture to guess that all of us will think of good things. No one's gonna say, well, I wish I lose my job and I lose my house and I wish I'm gonna get sick. We don't wish that. We wish for good things. So as I ponder this, I thought to myself, what if followers of Jesus reflect Jesus brighter and showed his love more abundantly? What would happen to our families, our workplaces, our cities? John the Baptist, who we just read about in our scripture reading, Lift the life preparing the way of the Lord. He was pointing people to the Messiah. And then at one point, Jesus' popularity started to grow. So much more that it out started to outshine his own ministry. And then his followers were upset. Hey, the crowd is going over there. What's wrong with us? And he, they went to John and said, Hey, what's happening here? The crowd is going over there. And John's response was, He must increase and I must decrease. He had this rule of life where he lived that Christ must increase and I must decrease. Or in other words, you can say, Christ must take the center stage and I must move to the outskirts. What if we made this our rule of life for 2023? He must increase and I must decrease. Just imagine the possibilities. What would happen in our church, in our families, in our workplaces, in our city? Today, our service is going to look a little bit different. We will consider this rule of life and what it might actually look like in practical ways, and we'll spend time in congregational prayer, seeking God's face for grace that he may increase in our midst and we will decrease. And we're going to look at three specific areas. We're going to look at self. We're going to look at areas of influence, and we're going to look at church. Areas of influence simply means the to ta- place we spend most of our time during the year, and who we spend our most of the time with the year during the year. For most of us, I would venture to guess that's our workplace. For another large portion of people, that may be school. For some people, it may be in the home, taking care of very young children, or maybe older aging parents. For some people, it may be our neighborhood, and for some it may be the places where you volunteer. But it's that place where you get up in the mornings and you go to. What would it look like in these three areas of life if Christ would increase and we would decrease? So let's start looking at that, and we're going to look at self. We're going to look at John. John the Baptist, that was read for you earlier. From Luke 1, we learned that John was a relative of Jesus. We know that he was filled by the Holy Spirit right from birth. And we know that he had a special destiny. In Matthew, we learned that he lived in the desert, he wore camel's clothing, and ate locusts, or grasshoppers, and wild honey. We also know that he was the fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah 40, 1 to 5 says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. That was referring to John. And in Matthew 11, Jesus says, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. So we know he was well known. He may have even been a household name. People would have shared stories about his miraculous birth, and they may have wondered about who is he There was something about him that attracted people to him. Look at it this way. He did not fit into any coveted image of society. Fashion sense? None at all. Dietary excellence? I'm not sure if you like grasshoppers, but I would venture to say that it would be hard to find that on any menu in any restaurant in the city. Did he he frequent luxurious, exclusive places? No. He lived in the desert but yet people flocked to him. Look at this scripture verse. It says, from Jerusalem and from Judea and all over the Jordan uh, Valley, people went out to see and hear John. People flocked to him. He did not have a media campaign. He did not concern himself with social media. He did not care about what he was wearing, but he had a message. And it wasn't an easy message. It was a message of repentance. Yet, people from all over the place were coming to him. Look at it this way as well. Look at the way he spoke to the the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Keep in mind that these were the religious elites of society. They were most revered. They were the most respected. They were the most educated. And he calls them a brood of vipers. He basically says to them, don't come to me with your religious cloak and your religious jargon, and expect me to accept that. Live the life. That's basically what he was telling him. And he got away with it. They didn't drag him into uh, wherever and beat him up. They accepted what he said. How is it then that he lived with all this power and influence and it did not get to his head? You know how they say power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? John had that power. John had that influence. And even his disciples felt that tug that we often feel when we see the attention moving away or when we see ourselves losing control or losing power or losing something we thought we had. He says, Christ must increase and I must decrease. He did not allow his influence power, his influence, for any selfish gain. He wasn't corrupted by it. He didn't become territorial of it. He understood his place, and he did not let his self get in the way of Christ freely flowing through him. If we're to decrease and Christ is to dec- increase in our lives we must address the self and all the ways that it gets in the way and it mars the image of Christ. We have to consider and be very honest ourselves and sometimes brutally honest and sometimes this hurts but we can quite We can be selfish at times, and self-centered. We love comfort, and we love our own preferences. There are so many ways that pride gets into our lives. We like to hold on to power, we like to hold on to control, and we love to hold on to our privileges. Sometimes we can catch ourselves manipulating the facts or massaging them, just to make ourselves look good whether that's in a social gathering or whether that's in a big meeting in so many different ways. And we have a myriad of ways that we can justify our sinful acts. These are ways that self can get in the way of marring uh, God's image in our lives. What would it look like if all of us were willing to put this self aside and allow Christ to increase in us? Imagine the possibilities of making Jesus known. So at this time, we're going to have a time of congregational prayer. I'm going to ask you to look to your right and your left, maybe in front or behind, and to gather in groups of two, three, and no more than four, and we'll have some time to pray. On the screen, there'll be some prompts to help you in your prayer. If you're at home, I encourage you to pray with someone that you're with. And if you're new to prayer, and your stomach is really churning right now because you're really nervous because what I've just asked you to do, don't worry. If you feel more comfortable, you may want to pray silently or maybe you want to get into a group and just listen to other people pray. We will have quiet music playing and we will have a timer and we encourage you to pray towards this end that when it comes to self in 2023, that God will give us the grace to decrease so that Christ may increase in our midst.
1: Thank you. See
0: So our second area that we're going to be looking at is the areas of influence. What would it look like if we were to decrease and Christ were to increase? And for this, I'd like to talk a little bit about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who was a tax collector. And he went around collecting taxes from the Jewish people. He himself was Jewish, but he was collecting taxes for the Romans. And not only was he collecting taxes for the Romans, he followed the standard of industry at that time, meaning he collected more than he absolutely had to so that he can pocket that amount. This was common practice, and because of that, the Israelites probably hated him. I can understand why. But this is who he was. And then one day, he heard about Jesus, and he climbed up this tree to hear Jesus, and then he met Jesus personally. And Jesus said, I must come and eat at your house. And what happened? Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There was a radical transformation in his experience after meeting Jesus. So this day comes to an end. After that discussion, after Jesus went to eat with him, that day did come to an end. Zacchaeus went to bed, and he got up the next morning. And now what? The way he did business was completely different. He would have not been padding his pockets as he was before. Who knows, maybe he even left that profession and went to a different one. But what would happen to him day after day after day? He would see his fellow tax collectors getting rich and richer and richer, and he knew what that felt like because he lived like that for a while, and he would watch them move ahead and get ahead in life, but he wasn't because he was not collecting extra money. They probably would have disliked him because they were making him look bad. There was a price to pay, but he was willing to do it. He was willing because there was a traumatic uh, transformation in his life. What would it cost us if we wanted to live the same way, if we wanted to do what's right and not popular? As we think about this, there are so many different things that come to mind. Are we giving our employers eight hours of work for eight hours of pay? If we're students, are we refusing to cheat, no matter how tempting and how convenient? For many of us, we encounter a situation where we're tempted to cheat on our taxes. It's easy. It can be done. But Zacchaeus was saying, no, righteousness is more important. Christ must increase in my life. And these temptations and these desires must go. And as we think about this, we reflect, and we should ask ourselves these questions. Is my life marked by radical transformation? In my thought life, am I prone to thinking negatively about others? Am I prone to judging? Am I catching myself in these negative thoughts? What do I say, and how do I speak? Am I passing on gossip? under the cover of, well, let's pray for this person. There are so many ways, subtleties, that we can do these things. In the decisions that we make, and what we do and what we don't do, in our attitudes and in our love. Oh, it's so easy to love those who love us. Actually, let me take that back. Most of the time, it's so easy to love those we love. But to love someone we don't love, So for this section, as we gather in prayer, we're going to focus on, may we be people marked by radical transformation because we've been with Jesus. That we would be a body of people so transformed by Jesus that our love of the world would be attracted to Jesus. That we will reflect the light and love of Christ in our areas of influence, school, work, home, neighborhood, volunteer areas. Let us get back into our groups and pray and we'll have quiet music. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Please stand with us. at today is the church what would it look like if christ would increase and we would decrease as a church and for this i'd like to take you to acts chapter 6 verses 1 and going forward from there in those days when the number of disciples were increasing the hellenistic jews among them complained against the hebaric jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food a little bit of background here <coughs> In this society, if you were a widow, and you didn't have a family to take care of you, you basically had nothing. You weren't able to work. You didn't have a source of income. You didn't have a source of security. So the church would look after the widows. And in this particular case, this is the early church. The church has just started. And there is now a conflict in this particular church. Some of the Jews are saying that they're being overlooked. The conflict arose many, many years before this. We have to go back to 597 BC, when the Israelites were exiled to other countries. Many of these stayed abroad, maybe for a couple of generations. So what happened is they adopted the language of the new places, they adopted the the customs and the values of these new places. But by New Testament time, many of them had returned to Israel. But they had a unique perspective on Judaism. It was influenced by the places that they were before coming back. So we know in Acts 2, when uh, Peter was speaking, that there was many God-fearing Jews from several nations in the audience. So when when the church started, there were people from all over the place. So that although they were all Jewish, they had different cultural identities. And these differences brought some divisiveness. So I ask you now, what was the underlying root of this division, where some of the Jews were being overlooked over others? I would venture to say that today's modern word for that would be racism. There was racism in the church. So you can guess that if there was racism in the early church, if we're very honest, We may even be able to see racism in our churches today. But not only racism, there are so many other isms that we can see that have so conveniently and subtly mixed in with our culture, so we may be blind to it. There's ageism, classism, sexism, so many of them. And let me give you an example of here how subtly it can come in that we don't even notice it. There's a country that I'm aware of, Whereas a common practice there is to um, take on a child whose family can't afford to take care of them, and they adopt them into their homes, and they live with that family. Well-to-do families will take these children on. But they are not adopted like their other children in the family. They remain servants, and they don't go to school, or if they do, they have minimal education because their day is basically spent on doing some work and paying for their room and board. That happens today. And then some of these families are converted and they start coming to church. And you could see them filing into the church. And these well-to-do families will sit in a pew and everybody is well-dressed, and in the corner you see a child who's not well-dressed. That's the servant. Now, us coming from North America, we look at this and it just stands out to us, like, wow, how can this be right? But in that culture, it's blended in, and no one notices it. But for us, we have our own things that we may not notice. Besides the isms, we can have unforgiveness and judgment. We must eradicate these. If they remain in the church, we are marring the image of Christ, and Christ will not be able to be seen to the world, uh, by the world through us. There's busyness. Our lives are way, way too Too busy, sorry. And for some of us, God may be saying, stop. Even if you're busy with church stuff, just stop. You need to rest. For some of us, God may be saying, you've gone through a period of brokenness and pain. It's time to heal. Stop. For others, God may be saying, you're too busy with other things. You need to take some of those off your plate and spend more time with me because I will give you rest. And as was said earlier in the message, Unionville Alliance Church is going to be starting, or has started today, um, a journey through the Gospels. And if you would like to join this, maybe you want to take things off your plate in order to have some time to spend with God, you can go to uachome.org, join plan. For others, you may want to start getting into the rhythm of prayer, prayer talking to God, And if this is something you want to do, you can text 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. to the number on the screen, and you will receive a notification. Another area we can talk about is looking inward and apathy. This could happen to us as a church, possibly because we are so busy, possibly because uh, we are selfish people, Possibly because we like our preferences, possibly because there's just so much going on in the world, we get so overwhelmed, we can become apathetic, and we can start looking inward. We come to church to meet our needs. We want to sing the songs we like, we want to have the programs we like, and we kind of, yes, we do outreach, yes, we talk about these things, but somewhere along the line, the balance gets tilted. With apathy and looking inward, we miss out on reaching the world for Jesus because we are looking at ourselves. Recently, Reverend Darren Harbald, the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, gave an appeal to us as a denomination. And he said that God is inviting us into greater obedience, submission, and surrender to Christ. And as we contemplate this last section and as we pray, Let us pray that we would be a body of people who love each other and the world. That we would root out every evil from our midst. That we would be quick to apologize and to forgive each other. That we would be able to extend grace to each other as a body of people. And that we would be moving towards greater obedience, surrender, and submission to Christ, no matter the cost. As we have contemplated what it might look like to decrease so that Christ might increase in us, it's fitting that we take this last section of time to pray for these things. So let's pray.
1: I just want to speak the name of Jesus In every mind, because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak, Jesus.
0: John lived by a rule of life. Christ must increase, and I must decrease. Just imagine the possibilities. Let's go to December 31st, 2023. What might we look back on if we were able to commit to decreasing so that Christ would increase in our midst, in ourselves, in our areas of influence, and in our church? Let us pray. Holy Father, thank you for bringing us into this new year. I ask, Lord God, and start with me, that you would give me the grace, and you'd give us the grace, Lord Jesus, to be attentive to your voice, to be sensitive to your spirit, that when you put your finger on something that is of self, that is not just, that is contrary to you and your righteousness, that we, Lord God, like the early church in Acts, will eradicate it swiftly, with intentionality, and with carefulness, and by your grace. Lord, we ask that you would increase in our midst, that this city will know that you are God, that this city will feel your love through us. In Jesus' name, amen.